G'day. Got to say you're doing well. It's, you, uh, I'm, a, I'm a guest here and it's nice to be invited and, and be a guest amongst you. And you guys are hardcore. There's a lot of sessions today. So uh, well done. Uh, I'll tell you a bit about myself and uh, if you know what that is on the left of the screen, then if you're super keen and you have an app, you can download the notes that I'll be speaking from and get it on your phone. Or if you don't know what that is, you can write down that URL and check it out later. Uh, my name's Dan King. I work with AFES, the Australian Fellowship of Evangelical Students. Uh, I work here in Melbourne at Monash University, which is kind of like the second big uni down here in Melbourne. And I work particularly with international students there. And so um, what I'm, I've been doing that for about nine years, and I love it. Um, so I'm not a church planter, but I guess I've been invited to come along to share with you from a university perspective what we're trying to do in uh, cross-cultural ministry, multicultural ministry. Um, I'm going to skip through. I've got lots of stuff I want to say, but a lot of stuff's been covered already in earlier sessions, which I've just found wonderful and so helpful. So, here we go. Some points up on the screen, if you are the sort of person who takes handwritten notes. Uh, Multicultural ministry in Australia, I'm going to be very quick here. It's the trajectory, as we've already seen, of God's own plans in history. We are heading towards that Revelation uh, 7 picture of people from every nation, tribe, people and language. It's also, I think, in God's providence, the trajectory that Australia itself is on. Uh, We are a multicultural nation and I think that is just going to grow and grow and grow and the stats we've seen um, bear that out. So let me move on very quickly then to talk about uh, focus uh, ministry at Monash University and uh, around the traps in the unis. Uh, We call our groups FOCUS. It stands for the Fellowship of Overseas Christian University Students. Um, And uh, I think there's a graph going to come up on the screen. There you go. You can see it is growing. Uh, I'm particularly focused on university students, uh, but it's not only them. uh, Yeah, you can see higher education, ELICOS, vocational education, school and non-award. So it's not just university students. There's lots of different groups coming to our shores, and that's only going to increase. There's a bit of a dip there a couple of years ago. That's when the Australia dollar was very high. Our courses are already crazy expensive. They got even crazier, more expensive, so... People backed off. Um, There was also some horrible violence. You might remember in the news a number of Indian students being bashed up in in different cities. Uh, But it's dipped, but it's coming coming again, and I think it's just going to grow more and more as we look to the future. So these students are coming. They're in our midst, and not just in the capital cities, in the regional centres, as we've heard. Um, Our group at Monash University, I'm really thankful. It uh, It is very diverse, and I... I wonder sometimes whether we're doing the homogeneous principle or we aren't. Because in one sense, at Monash, we've made a very clear decision that we've got one team trying to reach the locals, the Australians, and I'm leading another team which is trying to reach the internationals. So in that sense, it's homogeneous. They are all international students. But I said this to my colleague and she said, are you crazy? This group, this focus group, is the most diverse thing I've ever been a part of. Uh, 40 or 50 students on a Friday night and you have students from perhaps 10 different African nations, maybe six different Asian nations, three different Latin American countries, a couple of people from the Middle East, and even some UK and US students who are obviously fluent in English, and you might think they'd arrive and go to the local ministry. They could, and sometimes they do, and yet they still have an affinity with international students because that's what they are. They're still away from their family and friends and all the rest. So it's a very diverse ministry, even though 
in one sense, is homogeneous. I want to talk to you about what these students are going through, and this wouldn't just be for students, it would also be for migrants uh, or refugees uh, that you might be ministering to in your communities and churches. Um, they're doing it tough. Uh, they're very vulnerable. Uh, students and, and migrants and newcomers to our land are often taken advantage of. Dodgy landlords, dodgy real estate agents. I remember a young woman from China uh, whose parents had too much money back home said to her, go and buy a house in Australia, we want you to buy a house. And so she rocked up to the real estate agent and said, I need to buy a house, please. And uh, he took her to a building site, you know, with a couple of beams up, and he said, this is going to be fantastic. And uh, she looked around and felt very much at unease, uh, but I think there was a bit of pressure there. She signed on the dotted line, later felt, um, the next day felt very uneasy about that, went back and he just lied to her and said, there's no cooling off period in Australia. Uh, you've signed now, you can't go back. Uh, thankfully, we got involved there, but they're vulnerable from landlords, real estate agents, uh, bosses, employers who are going to pay them uh, in cash below the minimum wage, uh, but they don't say anything because they don't know the law for starters and they don't want to kick up a fuss. They don't want to lose their job. Uh, dodgy universities. I know a young man by the name of Duk who came from Vietnam. He came to study at a big university in Sydney to do a PhD in a particular field. His parents paid the money. He arrived to find that there is no one in the university of that specialty. Can you believe that? Imagine what you would do if you're an Aussie and you're in that situation. You'd crack it. Uh, he uh, shamed culture. He didn't know what to do. He couldn't begin his PhD. There was no one to supervise him, no one to train him, to help him along. He couldn't say back to his parents, we've, we've been hoodwinked, uh, we've, you know, we've lost our money, this is a problem. So he just wrote back saying, everything's good, everything's going well. And for the next six months, tried his hardest to shift to another university, which he eventually did, that actually had someone in that specialty. Now, in God's kindness, in those six months, he, he didn't have a lot to do. He's twiddling his thumbs, and that's the time that God used to bring him in touch with the church and hear the gospel and come to Christ. So praise God, uh, but still, very vulnerable. Uh, they suffer violence. As you know, they are prone to cults. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons often train their people, fluent in Mandarin or whatever other language it might be, and uh, I can tell you, they prowl around the universities. At my university, the uni has told them, you cannot come onto the campus. So as you leave the campus, there on the sidewalk are the Mormons ready to go. And they say, um, would you like to learn about Christianity? We're Christians. And we, we, we run Bible studies, come to our church. They're vulnerable. Uh, there's a lot of pastoral issues going on for them. They're in culture shock. They're lonely. They're isolated. I spoke to one young Chinese man at Caulfield, and we got chatting. I said, how are you going? He's been here for three years. He said, I may as well be studying in China. All my housemates are Chinese. The only language I seem to be speaking is Chinese, or the food that I'm eating is Chinese. I do group assignments at uni. None of the Aussies want to partner with me because they don't think my English is strong enough, so I do my assignments with Chinese. It broke my heart. This guy wants to meet locals and make local friends. And no one's got the time for him. And it's a place where we as Christians can step into that gap and love these students and be their friends. Uh, many of them suffer mental illness. They come from countries sometimes where there's even more stigma about that than what we have. Uh, and they're trying to go through all these pastoral issues without the normal networks of family and friends that you rely on at such times. They're also under enormous pressure 
They're trying to, in my case with students, uni students, they're trying to study at a tertiary level in, uh, the, with English as their second language. Or maybe not second language, it's third language or fourth language or fifth language. It's incredibly difficult. And there's a huge pressure for them to go well in their studies. And if uh, we can get, we'll, we'll see if technology works. I've got a video, we'll see if it rolls. <laughs> Oh, tell me the worst. No, 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 it's great news. He got what he needed. Let me see, let me see. English A, Mathematics A, Physics A, Chemistry A. What is this? What? What, He got a B in classical studies. He got a B? It doesn't matter. What do you mean it doesn't matter? It doesn't matter. My son got a... It's only one. Still, it's a B. He could have got all A's. Mr. Sinha's son got all A's. But my son had to get a B. Mr. Sinha's son only did two A-levels. Our son did five in one sitting. He's the first in his school ever to do that. Really? Yes. Then he is going to school full of idiots. Why am I going to keep my head up in the community? Hmm? My son got a B. He got the grades to do medicine at Cambridge. He is doing medicine at Cambridge? Yes. Idiot! <laughs> he should be doing PhD. You don't like to do a postgraduate without a degree. I know. That's why I was telling him to do his degree in his spare time. <laughs> what is wrong with him, huh? Mr. Khanna-san is getting BSc. My son is only doing A-levels, eh? Too busy playing football. He got into the Millwall first team. Millwall, Millwall, Millwall. Mr. Owen's son is getting into Liverpool. But my son can only get a place in Millwall. He will bring shame to the family. But Liverpool wouldn't give him a trial. And why is that? Because he's six. <laughs> There you go. So that's comic. Um, but there is extraordinary pressure on these students to do very, very well. Uh, I feel like I should have started the whole talk with an apology if it was racist or offensive. But anyway, we're halfway through now. So huge pressure on, on the students. Their, their parents and sometimes grandparents have contributed massive amounts of finance for them to come here and study these courses. Failure is incredibly shameful. Uh, in China, you know, you've got the one-child policy. So sometimes you've got four grandparents, one child each, who are the parents, and then they've had one child. So you've got four, two, one. Four grandparents, two parents, all of that pressure of those four families coming down on this one child. They've saved up, sent him or her to study here at this high level. You imagine the pressure on that student to do really, really well and get a great job and earn lots of money and support the parents back home. Now imagine we're coming along saying, how about leaving your professional work and doing a, an apprenticeship with us where you have to raise your own funds and maybe giving up your career and going into lifetime of gospel ministry? It's a huge ask. But they're vulnerable, pastoral issues, huge amounts of pressure, but a wonderful window of opportunity. Uh, they are away from home. They are deliberately here looking for new experiences, open to new ideas. And so there is a great opportunity there to introduce them to the Lord Jesus. And many come to faith. Praise the Lord.
I want to share with you some theological or pastoral issues that I think all international students need to tackle, and this may well be true if you have other uh, different uh, groups that you're ministering to in your churches. Uh, Here are four big ones that are always on my mind, and we are trying to revisit continually as the students come and go, come and go. Family uh, is a big issue. Um, Many of the cultures that students are coming from, uh, in those cultures, um, parents are... It's hard to overestimate just how important the parents are in their life. And uh, we need to say to them, you know, the Bible is with you in saying that there is almost no one who is more important than parents. And you can go to the Ten Commandments and so on. But you also need to say that your parents are not God. And you're not doing them a a service if you treat them as though they were God. Uh, This comes out in marriages as well. We need to take our students to uh, Genesis chapter 2 and talk about how the man leaves his parents to be united with his wife and the way that from that time on then the the primary relationship has to be with your spouse and not with your family of origin. But for many Asian cultures, uh, my understanding is that even after marriage, still that that primary allegiance uh, belongs to the parents. I remember trying to uh, counsel a young married couple, both from Singapore. Uh, They were studying in Sydney, um, and uh, they lived in a one-bedroom apartment, married for less than one year, and his parents came to stay, as they often do. Parents don't come to stay for for, for a week or two, came to stay for three months. In the one-bedroom apartment, they got the main bedroom. Uh, This young couple were on the couch for that time, and you can imagine tensions rise in that small uh, space. And at one point, the father-in-law starts taking it out verbally on his daughter-in-law, saying what a shocking wife she is, doesn't support his son well enough, the food's not tasty enough, and so on. And she's looking to her husband like, are you going to back me up here? And he was like a deer in the headlights, torn in two ways, didn't say a word, and so she got stuck back into her father-in-law, and it was a very awkward situation. I asked him, this young man, what happened there? Why, why, why couldn't you have said something or, or supported your wife? Or, and he said, but my father has paid for all my education. And so I owe him you know, kind of everything. I can't. I can't, yeah. So it's very tricky, but we need to talk to them about family. Uh, we need to talk to them about religion. Uh, none of us, I think, really grasp grace before we come to Christ and understand the gospel. But in my experience, many of the international students have no idea about grace. Um, if, if I do you a favour, then that means you owe me and I'll call that favour in when, if it's a, a week later or a month later or a year later. So the more good I do for you, the, the tally of debt is just racking up. And this can trip us up in Christian ministry because we want to do, like the, the motto for your conference next year says, whatever it takes. We want to do whatever it takes to bring these people to Christ. And so we're showing hospitality and giving them lifts to churches and, I don't know, giving them driving lessons or helping them improve their English. And if they don't understand grace, we think we're showing grace and we're not expecting anything in return, but they don't get that. And so in their minds, they just think, these people are so lovely and I owe them more and I owe them more and I owe them more and I'm never going to be able to repay it. And so sometimes what they do is they just leave church. They just disappear one day and you won't see them. And it's not because they don't love Jesus or aren't interested It's they feel the debt's gotten too great. And so one of the ways you can work against that uh, is to help give them a chance to serve. 
you know, help out with morning tea at church or can you help us out uh, with lunch? Or if you're interested in learning their language, meet up and for half an hour I'll try and learn a few uh, Chinese phrases and then we'll swap around and I'll help you with your English. It gives them a chance to contribute and it lessens that sense of debt until they really grasp that grace is grace and these are not transactions. Also, uh, for a lot of their religious backgrounds, there's, there's a huge amount of pragmatism. So I remember speaking to one Chinese young woman uh, in our group and I said, you know, what's your religious background? She said, I'm from China. We're all atheists. It's not always true, but that's how she understands it. We're all atheists. And then we go on talking and she lets slip that whenever the exams would approach in China, she'd go to the Buddhist temple to pray to Buddha for the exams to be good. And I said, hold hold on, you're you're atheist. She goes, yeah, but can't hurt. It might work. And so I find that really bizarre as a Westerner. I think you're either atheist or you're not, or you're playing the field or I don't know what spiritually. Uh, But for her, it's not about what's true or what isn't true. It's about what works or what might work. And so there's a huge pragmatism and a huge danger of syncretism. So we need to keep saying, like the song said earlier, just that exclusivity of Christ. Otherwise, people can go home and Jesus is is still there and he's important, but he gets added in with all these other worldviews as well. Materialism. Uh, I'll be quick here. I've already told you about 421 and and pressure in China. The parents have huge hopes that their children will get a great job and earn a lot of money and look after them in their old age. In some cultures, of course, there's the prosperity gospel as well, big in Asia, big in Africa, and growing all around the world, I think. And there's a, a, a Christianized, you know, theological reason to, to chase money and prosperity. Uh, we've got to teach against that, I think. And the fourth one is career. Uh, workaholism is rife. Uh, you might think that Aussies are working harder and harder, and we're workaholics, and maybe we're in danger of that. But compared to Singapore or, or Hong Kong, uh, we're doing it easy here. We need to be talking to these people about where, you know, what gives you value. Where do you find your self-esteem and your, your sense of worth? It needs to be in Christ, not in what we do or how much we earn or what profession we're in. Uh, even once they're Christian, I think when push comes to shove, often Jesus and church and Christian things come second and career continues to come first. And so we need to help them see that and, and challenge that gently and help them to make gospel decisions. Um, in our focus ministry, we, we kind of assume that most of the voices around the students are going to be saying, settle here if you can. You know, this is where the great new life awaits, so get your permanent residency. And so we want to be one voice saying, maybe you should go home with the gospel. You guys already have the passport, you already know the language, you can eat and enjoy the food, you understand how the culture works. Uh, you're like the missionary ready to go. And so we don't say, thou shalt go home, but we certainly want to put it on the agenda and encourage them to make a decision that is not just based on career and money, but on based on God's kingdom. And where not only will they be fed and, and grow the best as a Christian themselves, but where can they feed others? And where can they help the gospel to grow? Briefly, Uh, church and and uni group partnerships. Uh, It depends where you're placed and if you're near a uni campus and if you're a mega church or if you're smaller. But but we're there on most of the big campuses and TAFEs increasingly. And we are trying to not be a church. We are trying to be a specific mission task force on the campus. Uh, We are not a church. We want to partner with you guys. We want to partner with local churches. 
And it may be, unless you have a lot of expertise and staff on the, on the team, that a ministry-like focus can lend expertise uh, to what you're doing. I think there can be great synergies there. So basically, let's do it. Come on. I want to finish with uh, some quick tips. Uh, if you're already part uh, of one of these ethnic groups that I'm kind of alluding to, you'll hear these tips and go, he's an amateur. I know so much more than he does. And you do, and you're right. Uh, but for the white guys and girls in the room who are kind of like dipping their toe in the water and want to have a crack, uh, I hope there's some stuff here that may help. Number one, uh, remember that all ministry, to some extent at least, is cross-cultural. Even one family to another, you've still got different histories and different families of origin. It's all cross-cultural, actually. Number two, uh, I want to challenge you to think about, maybe if people have already migrated, then you know, they're here. But if it's students or, or, or transitory workers, work out what your goal is. What is your hope for that student? Are you going to be encouraging them to stay at your church because you need numbers to grow and balance the books and meet budget and all of that? I want to challenge you, though, to to have that that big vision, that worldwide vision. They might be the person who needs to go home, even though you'd love to keep them. Because depending on where you, under God's providence, want to get them to, it's going to change how you do the ministry with them now. So think long-term. What's what's going to happen? What do you hope will happen? I'm going to skip over gospel and culture, not because it's not important, but we've already said a lot about those things. Number four, uh, don't convert them to the Australian culture. You want, if, if they decide to leave and walk out the door, you want to make sure that they're rejecting Christ and the gospel, not some weird Aussie thing that we did that put them off. Uh, if you're working with people, for example, uh, from a Muslim background, you, know, you don't put your Bible on the floor because we're casual and we're Aussie and we don't worship you know, the actual pages and the ink, so we just put it on the ground. But all uh, our Muslim friends are seeing is that we don't respect our scriptures. Uh, in AFES, we had uh, our national conference some years ago, and we had a one uh, keynote speaker who was doing all the morning talks and another who was doing all the evening talks. And uh, they're, they're both great, but a kind of dynamic uh, grew during the conference, and when each speaker was getting up, they were kind of ribbing the other guy. And so there was this give and take, morning, evening, morning, evening. And, you know, in Australian culture, the way you show that you like someone and respect them is by hassling them. And all the Australian students loved it. I loved it. It was genuinely funny. And a lot of our international students did not get it and were quite upset. They, they, were, they were shocked that not only was there real tension between the two speakers, but that it was being expressed publicly from the platform rather than being dealt with in private. They were really upset. They went to the organisers and the speakers got up on stage next day and publicly apologised for the way they'd been cultu- culturally insensitive to the international students. I remember leading my first Bible study with international students and there was this young guy, Jay, from Korea and every week this guy would turn up 15 minutes late to my study. It drove me nuts. You'd sit down, do the get to know, you know, say day, and then you'd finally pray and you'd read the scripture and just after reading scripture he walks in. Ugh. Okay, let's read it again. <laughs> and uh, after some weeks of this, every week, I did something which I thought was pretty mild. When he sat down, I said, oh, Jay, nice of you to join us. And after the study, he came up to me almost in tears and said, please, if you ever have anything to say to me, please just do it one-to-one. Please don't rebuke me in front of the group. Now, in Aussie culture, that would have just been water off a duck's back, but I'd misread the situation. 
Uh, we're not a, when it comes to sport, Aussies are really patriotic, but like when it comes to our leaders and our politicians, uh, we've got a, a state election coming up here in Victoria. We're going to vote for some guy this day, and the next day we're going to be complaining about him and what an awful job he's done. Uh, but some of the students who are coming from other cultures, they're very patriotic about their culture. So don't think just because you can have a crack at Australia, you can then have to turn around and have a crack at their country. That can go pretty badly. Uh, number five, you need to have a sufficient understanding, where possible, of the other religions or cultures that are in your group so that you can apply gospel truths to them well. For example, you're dealing with people from a Muslim background. You may need to know that they, they may not even uh, acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross. Uh, you need to know that Australians tend to think individualistically while many other cultures think corporately, even make decisions corporately. A young Korean woman who's in a dorm of Korean women may discuss with that dorm whether or not she should keep going to your church and they will decide as a group about that. Number six, I think on the plus side, uh, it's often easy for us to get our foot through the front door uh, in terms of talking to uh, these students or these migrants uh, about Christianity, particularly in those early months when they're at sea and they're looking for belonging. They're looking for a, a home away from home. They're looking for a new kind of family. Uh, there's lots of ways that you can do that. Uh, I don't think it's rocket science. Um, you can just say, you can just get involved in a conversation with them. Invite them to your church. I think most of the international students I meet on campus come to Australia with this mindset. Australia is a Christian country. It's wacky to us, but that's what they're thinking. And so they come to Melbourne and think, I need to do the touristy things. I'm going to go to the Great Ocean Road. I'm going to go to Phillip Island and see the penguins. Uh, I need to see an AFL match. And I should visit a church because that's the local religion. Now, there's other problems there down the track because Christianity is not a Western religion and we need to tell them that. But it's great as a first invite. You might just say, would you like to visit church with me one Sunday? And I think they'll probably go, yeah. That would be nice. It doesn't mean they'll keep coming back again and again and again. You've still got to do the hard work. But that first, that initial invite, I don't think is too hard. ESL classes, socials, outings, take them to the Great Ocean Road or whatever your equivalent is in your, your city or, or town. Uh, that's a lot of hard work, but I think it really bears fruit, all that social uh, energy. And, of course, food. Food is super important. Uh, for many cultures, if you're going to do any social interaction of any value at all, food has to be involved. In our culture, in like kind of Melbourneian culture, if I want to catch up with you, I say, hey, do you want to go grab a coffee? But to some cultures, that's going to sound like, what, just, just have a drink? Is that all I'm worth to you? We don't even do food? Just a coffee? So just be careful what we're communicating. Number seven, uh, almost done. If, if, the, if you know that they're returning home and their first language is not English, we need to hear, start helping them to be worshipping God, engaging with God in their heart language. So get a bilingual Bible with English and Chinese on the other side. Encourage them to, to sing songs in their heart language. Read the scriptures in their heart language. Pray to God in their heart language. Otherwise, they may go home and, it, and it, to, you know, what a sadness this is. It's turned out that Christianity is just a Western religion. It was just that phase that I went through while I was in Australia. But now I'm home and it all just drops away. Prepare them for the fact that church back home may not be like the cool hipster whatever church they've been here in Australia. They might go, go home and yes, the minister's wearing robes or it is more formal 
or it is you know, lots more older people and, and not so many peers. Prepare them for that in advance so that they're ready and their expectations are in line. And we don't want them to idolise Australia so when they go back home, all they're saying is, oh, it was so good in Melbourne, but not here. We don't want them to worship Australia. We want them to worship the Lord Jesus. Very quickly, a couple of ministry specifics. You might want to think about the timing of your service. If you have students, they are young, but Sunday night may not be the time for your service. Sunday night is study time, assignment time. So you might want to have Sunday morning. Uh, In your preaching, I know there was a seminar on this, but very quickly, you need to slow down if their English is a second language. Uh, I always preach from a full script now and I do the QR code for all of my talks and a lot of the students will follow along with the script on their phones. It just helps them with the English. Not that they don't all use it, but many do. Uh, You need to search for illustrations with wide appeal, uh, endless illustrations about the cricket or the AFL or the rugby. Uh, Just not going to cut it. You need to be more creative. You need to think about applications that take other cultures into account. So if you're talking about parents... To the locals, you might need to be saying, look, you've got to respect your parents more, but your message to some Asians in your group might be quite different. Uh, in small groups, uh, if you've got a mixture of small groups with uh, local Aussies who are fluent and um, uh, internationals who are not, you need to, to get alongside your locals and just tell them to slow down and kind of shut up. Uh, because the typical Aussie, you ask the question and the Aussie answers, and then a couple of seconds later, the brain engages and they actually start wrestling with the text. Uh, but for the international, you know, they hear the question and then they translate and try and work out what that question meant. Then they're reading the Bible in English, working out the answer in their heart language, translating it back into English before they're ready to speak. And they're going to get frustrated in a group because the Aussies are just like, on it, slow down. We actually separate them out for that reason. Uh, in your one-to-ones and friendships generally, cultivate in yourself a deep curiosity about other cultures, other language, others, other religions, customs, foods, festivals. Just keep asking, 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 and that's how you'll become the expert in their culture, by having a real curiosity and love for that person. And the final point is that love covers a multitude of cross-cultural stuff-ups. Uh, I know it sounds like you've got to do all this stuff right or it won't work, but honestly, love them. And nine times out of ten, it'll all go great. Best of luck.